Uh, if I could just reiterate those, uh, that one announcement about the church directory. Uh, on the back table, sheets are there to fill out. Please, uh, it's like to be in the directory, fill it out. Uh, we'll leave them out there for a few weeks and uh, we want to update the directory probably for the end of the year and so on. We might do photographs. Uh, if you have an objection to having your photograph taken, well, too bad. It'll be in the directory. So... Uh, fill out the directory, okay, the form, if you need to update. If you don't need to update your information, you don't have to do anything, right? So if you've changed your telephone number, changed your email, moved house, then fill it out. If you want to be in it, fill it out. Also, on the back table are little New Testaments. These are the Gideon's New Testaments without the Gideon logo. Uh, there's a whole bunch on the back table. Please take one. Feel free to take one. I have more. Uh, this is the tool I've mentioned a number of times that I used to memorize the Bible uh, when I was a child. And I used to ride my bicycle to school with it open like this, cycling and memorizing scripture. And this is the tool. There's no, there's no comparison or no, nothing that I can compare it to how good it was uh, for me and I still use this. So they're on the back table. Avail yourself of it. If you want more than one, tell me. you can have more than one. And so on. Okay, but that's a, that's a good thing. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn with me, first of all, to Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13. Now, we are considering together biblical principles for biblical practice. And this morning, I want to consider with you God's much-needed Word. We've sung a lot in our hymns about the Word of God, so I want to consider from these there's three passages. First of all, Proverbs 13, verse 13, God's much-needed word. So first of all, verse 13, chapter 13, Proverbs. Whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself. But he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. Right? So whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. Now, let's go to chapter 16. Proverbs, chapter 16, verse 20. Proverbs 16, verse 20. Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. And then to chapter 30, Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5. <clears throat> Proverbs 30, verse 5. Agur says, verse 5, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. You could read verse 6. The first part, do not add to his words. And that's just thus far, and may God bless to us the reading of his word. Now let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, as we gather in your presence, in your sight this morning, we recognize that we come so utterly dependent for food, spiritual food, which we receive from your word. Your word is like bread to us. We pray that everyone here this morning may be satisfied with the Word. 
may be satisfied with the bread of life, who is Christ Himself. We pray that we might understand in these days, in these times in which we live and find ourselves by Your sovereign providence, that Your Word is still the same, unchanged, unbroken, and that we can depend upon it and rely upon it, even though the world is, has thrown You and Your Word uh, completely off and cast You aside. We want to rely upon your word, we want to trust your word, and so help us to know that we can depend upon the word that you've given to us. We pray, Father, that in all of these things our Lord Jesus Christ may receive all the glory and all the praise, and we ask that the Holy Spirit would help us to grasp and to understand this subject which is before us of how much we need your word. So we thank you for these things and pray and ask them all in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now these three Proverbs, the three Proverbs that I read to you, are the only Proverbs, the only verses in the whole book of the Proverbs, you find that little phrase, the Word, or the Word of God. Which is quite remarkable because the Proverbs do talk about other things like commandments and precepts and so on, uh, but here, specifically mentioned by Solomon and then by Agur, is this phrase, the word, uh, definite article, the word, and then the word of God. All of those three, the word and God's word, uh, simply refer to the word of God, to this word that we say is God's word. What we do know about the word of God is that it can be a spoken word, because we know from Hebrews chapter 1 that in the past days God spoke to us by the, or spoke to the fathers by the prophets. But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son. And that speaking in the Old Testament has come down to us as we know now in a written form as we have it in the Bible. So a spoken word by God or a written word from God is what we call and refer to as the Word of God, or the Word from God. The Bible, the Scriptures, which you have, and I trust you have them, are the written record that God Himself has given to us. This is not, the Bible is not the work of men and women. The Bible is not the work of a publishing house or anything like that. No, the Bible is completely unique. It is the Word of God, or to make it even closer to you, the word from God that has come to you. And every single human being, every person who has ever lived, who ever will live, who lives now, is it's incumbent upon them to respond to what God says. Now I know the vast majority of people don't know God's word, could care less about God's word, but God, because he has given this word, holds all accountable to him. If God speaks, he speaks with purpose, he speaks with clarity, he speaks to be understood, and he speaks to have a response directed to him. And so, all the books that we find in our Bible, 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament, we say, we refer to those books, old and new, as the Word of God. All the books in the Old, all the books in the New. We call them, by the way, the Holy Scripture, or Scriptures. Why do we add holy? Scripture, the word scripture, by the way, is just the word writing or writings. 
But when you add holy to the word writings, holy scriptures, it takes on a different, a different perspective, a different meaning. And so that's how we understand it. All of these individual books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and on you go, right? To Malachi, and then Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, all the way through to the book of Revelation. All of those books give us one book. One book from God, His Word to us, the only book. Which, by the way, according to the confession of faith, that the Word of God is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. If you say you are a Christian, then you read this book. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you cannot get enough of this book because this is the Word of God, the Word of the living Christ to us. And it's the only means by which all our understanding and knowledge of faith, of knowledge, and of obedience come to us, come to you. It's through what you read. We might say, and it would be right to say, that what we have in the Bible is a revelation from God. Now, you know, if you were to write me a letter, like we used to do in the old days, right? I don't really count emails as letters these days because they're so common, right? But you know, back in the day, people used to write letters, and they took a lot of time over those letters. And they were handwritten, weren't they? And they were written very neatly and so on. You would treasure such a letter to yourself. You would value such a letter. Here is a letter that comes from everlasting God. Of how much more value should we put on the word that has come from the living God than on such a, a, a small letter that you might get from a loved one or a friend or so on. When we say that the Bible is a revelation from God, what we mean by that is that God reveals himself. God shows himself. God declares himself. And he does it in his word. If you want to know what God is like, you have to read his word. Because in his word, he has revealed himself, he has shown himself. And listen, because God has revealed himself, every single one of us this morning uh, can know God. Because God has shown himself. Because God has manifested himself. Because God has revealed himself. In the Bible, God reveals Himself in two ways. The first way, He is the Creator. He has created all things. He has shown Himself. The second way is Redeemer. So God has revealed Himself, first of all, as the Creator and as the Redeemer. And you can only truly know God as Creator once you know Him as Redeemer. So redemption, salvation, is necessary that gift given to us by the Spirit of God in our regeneration, being born again, that alone enables us to understand, grasp, and comprehend the Scriptures, to comprehend that God actually has made all things. And not only that, but He has manifested Himself finally in the person of His Son who went to the cross and laid down His life for us. Mr. Warfield says that Christianity is the only revealed Religion. The only revealed religion. Revealed faith. We can know God. We can know the truth only because God has made it known to us. You can only know what God has said when you read 
what he has said in his word. You can't make up what God has said. You can't fall back on some mystical experience and say, well, that was God speaking to me. No, the only way you can know that God has spoken to you is in his revealed word, because in his revealed word he has revealed himself and made himself known. And what does that do when you think like that? Well, it eliminates a subjective faith. You know, many times if you ask people, what does it mean to believe? They'll give you some answer that is subjective, relies on experience, or relies on emotion. But we don't rely on experience. We don't rely on emotion. What we rely on is an authoritative revelation given from a holy God about ourselves and about Himself. And that's the only way we know. In fact, what we believe is true, not because we have experienced certain things, but simply because God has said it. If God says, let there be light on day one, then that's what we believe because God said it. And the result of God saying, let there be light, is there was light. So when God says something, there is an effect or an accomplishment of His words. And faith, as we know, comes by hearing the Word of God. There's an accompaniment to hearing God's Word. Faith is not subjective. Faith is objective. In fact, in the Scriptures, you discover that Jesus is the subject and the object of faith. He alone is our object and subject. So how can you know God? Saving faith only comes and is dependent upon the revealing of the truth about God and about yourself in the Word, in the Bible, in the Scriptures. So God has made Himself known. So when I was looking at these Proverbs, because I was thinking about the Word, these three little Proverbs, they just jumped out at me, and I thought, wow, that, those look like good Proverbs about the Word. So... Just let me give you a synopsis. First of all, in Proverbs 13, 13, the very first one we read, it says there are consequences associated with how you respond to the Word. There are consequences to the Word of God. That's verse 13. In Proverbs 16, verse 20, there is, there is life or blessing or good things that come to you, a reward that is associated with your commitment and your trust in the Lord of the Word. So things happen that are connected to life itself by your response to the Word. And then in Proverbs 30, you discover in this vacillating culture in which we live, this changeable times in which we find ourselves, that God proves Himself to be a refuge, a shield to all those who trust in Him. Now you know, I went through school, college, university, done all that stuff, right? They teach you a lot of nonsense, right? In those higher echelons of supposed education. There is no better education anywhere that you can get if you get it from God Himself in His Word. Now, I thought about that, you know, because here is a book that's incredible, has one message, one simple single message from God to us that we have offended Him, but He's provided the remedy, He's provided salvation, He's provided a refuge, He's provided forgiveness of sins. If you don't believe that you have offended God, you're a liar. And you know it. 
See, that's the, that's the incredible thing. God says you know it. God says you can't hide it. Nobody can hide it. We know the truth about ourselves because God has revealed what we're like. So if that's true, then I think I need to pay attention to what God has said about himself and about me so that I can know God, and even more particularly, that I can know myself as God intends me to know. So, will you look with me at this Proverbs 13, 13. Notice that there are two responses to the Word of God, and then there are two results. So what are the responses? The first response is, you despise the Word. You despise the Word. The second response is, you revere the Word. So there's only two responses. You despise it, or you revere it, right? I ask, what does it mean to despise the Word? It means you hold it in contempt. Now that frankly, is both an attitude, contempt, and an action. It's an action because it comes from the attitude. The attitude you have towards God's Word comes out in your life, in your conversation, in your words, in your thinking, in your mind, in your heart. And so, to despise the Word is to hold it in contempt. Any response to God's Word, any response, whether it's private, personal, is going to be an inward response, an internal response, or an outward response. And unless both of those are the same, you're just not honest with yourself. In other words, your life must be what you say it is, right? It's either true inwardly, and therefore true outwardly, and if that's true, then it's okay. But if one is wrong, the inward, the outward, may be false on the surface, and so on. Now, you know, to hold God's word in contempt does not just simply mean you despise it openly. No, it doesn't mean that, right? I mean, the proverb says that you despise the word, but despising the word doesn't necessarily mean that it's an open despising. You can just ignore God's word. You can just ignore it. That means you despise it. You could say it's irrelevant. It doesn't mean anything for me. Therefore, you despise it. Or, let's get a little bit more personal. You don't read it. You don't read God's Word. What does that mean? That means you despise God's Word. You don't consider it relevant. You don't respond to it in obedience. Therefore, that's contempt. We all recognize that, I think. James 1 tells us that we should be doers of the Word and not hearers only. Right? Because if you're just a hearer, you deceive yourself. So, to be a true hearer, you have to do the Word. Because if you don't do your Word, do the Word, James says, you deceive yourself yourself. Now the one thing I know about hearing, which you're all doing this morning, hearing is an incomplete action. Hearing is not the end, is it? It needs the doing. You hear something, you're either going to respond to it nay or yea. And if your hearing is nay, you despise the word, but if you're hearing the word is yea, then you respond as God says you ought to respond. It's the right response. You remember how Samuel said to King Saul in 1 Samuel, he says, to obey is better than what? Sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. In other words, don't go through the motions. Don't go through the motions. That's the first response. The second response is to revere the word or revere the commandment. That's the doing part. 
So the despising part comes because you've heard, but the actual doing is the revering of God's Word. You have the right regard, you hold it in highest esteem and with the highest value. So to revere the Word, to revere the commandment, is to believe the Word. Is to believe the Word. Faith produces obedience. Now I take it all of you are Christians. Maybe. Maybe. Probably not all of you are Christians. You see, the thing is, how do I know that? Because whenever the Word is preached, in there's seed that falls on the path, and on the rocky ground, and among the thorns, and some on good soil. So you may hear the Word, and despise the Word, and not respond to the Word. Because to revere produces faith, produces obedience. I love to read the confessions of faith, you know, because the confessions of faith are simply the outworking of what people long ago have discovered in the Word. So the second Helvetic confession says this, that the Scriptures give us the most complete and the most perfect exposition of all that pertains to saving faith and to the framing of a life that is acceptable to God. If you want to live a life that is acceptable to God, you need to live it according to the Word, right? We must live according to the Word. You see, every response has a consequence. So look, for example, verse 13. If you despise the Word, Solomon says, you bring destruction upon yourself. You remember the people of Noah's day? Noah apparently preached to them for maybe 120 years. God is going to judge us. God is going to send a flood. He's going to wipe us out. He's going to destroy us. Listen to God. What did they do? No, they rejected Noah's preaching and they brought destruction upon themselves. Or think about Moses speaking to Pharaoh over and over again, right? Let my people go, God says. Let them go, that they may come and be my people. Well, he refused to listen to God. He hardened his heart. He despised the word of God. And what happened? He was destroyed. So the Bible is true when it says that if you despise the Word of God, there are consequences, and those consequences can be very, very serious. Jesus said that there are people who are going to say to Him in the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, did we not do this, this, this in Your name? And Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. You sinful people, because you did not turn from your sin. Writer to the Hebrews puts it like this in chapter 12, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. So to, divide, to despise the word brings destruction, but to revere the word, notice the text says, brings reward. What does bring reward mean? It's the idea of restitution, to be paid in full, paid in kind. It brings a, a soundness of health spiritually. Now, you know what, we've, what our trouble is in the Christian churches? We've tried to make uh, soundness of health the physical thing. That this is the big thing. If you have faith, you can be healed of all your diseases. I want to tell you, not true. Not true. What I do know is if you have faith, you will be healed of the one disease. You will be on the right road. Spiritual healing is what the Word talks about. Soundness of health depends completely in the hands of God, physically, but spiritually you can revere the Word and it brings this kind of reward. It also brings joy, doesn't it? It brings peace in the conscience. 
A conscience doesn't accuse you. A conscience doesn't nag you. And God doesn't condemn you. Brings joy, brings peace, brings happiness. So here's the word, right, in Proverbs 13, 13. Let's ask ourselves the question, what is at stake in Proverbs 13, verse 13? Well, every time you listen, like right now, every time you read your Bible, every time, it's a matter of life and death. It's a matter of, of destruction if you reject the word, and it's a matter of reward if you receive the word. Now, the interesting thing about Proverbs 13, 13, those responses and consequences, they lead straight into chapter 16. So look at chapter 16 and verse 20. Now you notice the, Solomon says that whoever gives thought to the word will discover good. And blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. When you read Proverbs 13, 13, that's what we call a contrasting proverb, right? You've got life and death. But when you read Proverbs 16, 20, it's what we call a synonymous proverb. What do we mean by that? Solomon is saying one thing in two ways. Saying the same thing in two different ways. So the first way, what you can do for yourself. The second way, what God does for us. So notice, whoever gives thought to the word, what you do, will discover good. And blessed is he who trusts in the Lord, what the Lord can do in response to us. He gives His blessing upon us. So what can you do? I mean, what are you going to do tomorrow, tonight? You're going to read God's Word? You can meditate on the Word. In fact, that's the idea here, right? Whoever gives thought, that's the idea to pay attention. That's the idea to consider, to heed, to act with wisdom. The Latin word that's used here is eruditus. Eruditus, which means to be learned. To learn something. To give thought to. That's exactly what we read this morning in Joshua, right? 1 verse 9. That Joshua was to meditate in the book of the law day and night, right? Why? Because there are two results. Number one, make your way prosperous. Number two, you shall have good success. So there, are, there is always a response to you meditating, giving thought to the Word. And listen, to meditate, to give thought is not the emptying of your mind, neither is it some mind-relaxing technique whereby you're going to gain some inner experience, whatever that might be. No, that's not what the word means at all, to meditate or to give thought. What it does mean is that you engage in a holy contemplation and a dependent reflection. Or as the Puritans used to say, you engage in a holy musing of the Word or of God. Now you know it's not too difficult to think about God because you can think about God on his, in His works, you can think about God in His ways, and you can think about God on His will and His Word. There's lots of ways to think about God because God has revealed what He's like in His work, what He's like in His ways, and what He's like and requires of us in His Word and His will. Thomas Watson, the Puritan, he put it like this. He says, a holy exercise of mind, this is meditation, a holy exercise of mind whereby we, whereby we bring God's truth to remembrance and we seriously ponder and apply the truth to ourselves. See, I think meditation is a little bit deeper than just a, a casual reading on the surface. Meditation means you stop. 
Giving thought means you stop and you think. But it's no good just thinking about the Word. You have to apply the Word. You have to go deeper. How can I use the Word and apply the Word? So meditation is not the abandoning or abandonment of your mind or your spirit or your heart. It is the control of your imagination by confining it to the Word. Now listen, we're surrounded by, by stuff that's disgusting, right? There's pornography. There's sexual immorality. There's lust. So all of these things, where are they? Here, in the mind. What do you give thought to in your mind? You'll know if your mind is disgusting or not. You'll know if your mind and heart are clean or not. You know it. If you want it to be clean, listen to the Word. Give thought to the Word of God. Now you know, one of the great privileges we have in our Bibles today is that some Bibles have cross-references, don't they? Like, like down the center or at the bottom of the page. Cross-references are so crucial. They're a wonderful tool to make you explore Scripture. If this is what it says in this verse, the cross-reference may say it also says it in that verse. And so when you compare Scripture with Scripture, you gain a wide application from the Word of God. So Thomas Watson says to Study the Word is to find out the truth. The truth about God and the truth about yourself. And then he says that, that meditation is the spiritual improvement of that truth to yourself. So you study, you read to find out the truth, and then you meditate, you give thought on the truth. It's the spiritual improvement of the truth. It's to be like a gold miner. Right? You remember the old guys back in the day? Sunk a shaft down to find the vein of gold. Then you strike it rich. You find the vein. Then you dig it out, right? So Psalm says, 143.5, I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. Or Psalm 145.5, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and your wondrous works, I will meditate. And the psalmist says that I meditate on your law day and night. In other words, my going to bed at night thoughts are about God. My waking up thoughts are about God. And all day long my thoughts are about God. So how can you give thought to the Word, right? Well, let me give you four things. Here are four ways you can give thought to the Word. Number one, you have to put away, clear your mind of distraction. Distracting words, distracting thoughts, fleshly things, worldly things, your daily troubles, your daily business. Set those things aside. Put them away. Put them away. Number two, you have to cleanse your mind and your heart by confessing sin. Right? Cleanse your heart and mind by confessing sin. Number three, when you do that, then you can come and engage, be prepared to engage with God in His Word. Because if you don't confess your sin, you can't just come to God and expect to engage with Him. You need to deal with sin, and then we come and engage with God in His Word. And then number four, you have to be very careful to present yourself, to be reverent in the presence of God. There's a lot of casual attitudes about God, a lot of flippant attitudes about God, no. God is holy, absolutely holy. He's the only one who is holy. How you view Him, come to Him, speak about Him, speak to Him, reflects your view of God's holiness. 
All of those things are deliberate, by the way. I mean, if you go to university, if you go to college and you take a course, you're required to spend time looking at whatever the particular subject is. And hopefully they're going to put you through, through a great examination at the end, right? Uh, to see whether you know this stuff. And if you've given thought, really good thought, you won't have any problems in the examination, right? That's how it works. So these things are deliberate things. Christianity is a, is a revealed faith. It's there in black and white for us to read, for us to study, for us to know, for us to live. And when you do that, then you can pray to God and praise God for the fact that He has made Himself known to you when by sin and by our nature we want nothing to do with God. Those benefits give results. And let me give you three results from that. Number one, if you give thought to the Word, if you meditate on God's Word, number one, it will enlarge and it will strengthen your trust in the Lord. Now, if you're not used to trusting God, you have a very difficult time. The only way you can learn to trust God is to spend time in what God says. So it will enlarge and strengthen your trust in the Lord if you give thought Word. Secondly, it will warm your heart spiritually with heavenly, holy affection and joy. We need a lot more joy, don't we, as Christians, as believers? Thirdly, it enables worship in spirit and in truth. Calvin says, your love for the Lord will burn low unless you supply it with spiritual fuel. What's the spiritual fuel? The Word, right? If you find your spiritual life is bankrupt, you find your spiritual life is declining, you want to get it back to what it should be, read the Word, give thought to the Word. So to give thought, to meditate, to give thought to the Word is to trust what God has said. And the result of that, Solomon says in verse 20, is blessing. Is blessing. Now you know, a lot of people claim blessings. Well, I'm blessed, and I'm this, and I'm that. But what, what they mean by that is all that they have received, perhaps physically. But let's talk about your spiritual blessings. Can you name them? Don't we talk about name them one by one? Go through them, count your blessings, name them one after the other. Try that sometime. Sit down and write what your blessings are spiritually in Christ that you have in the Word and see what you know. Thinking... Biblical thinking, Christian thinking, leads to trusting. To giving thought to the discovery of all that is good revealed by God so that God blesses us when we ponder His works, His majesty, and His glory. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. Jeremiah 17.1 Luther said, I've had many things in my hand. I've lost them all. But whatever I have had that I have given to God, I still possess. How true that is. How true that is. Doesn't Paul say, right into the Ephesians, that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus? How many blessings? Every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. So I ask myself this question. Wow, that's a lot of good stuff. How can I know that that's for me? How can I know that Proverbs 13 and Proverbs 16 are actually for me? Well, that's chapter 30. 
and verse 5. Look at chapter 30 and verse 5. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Let me ask you this. Is there any other book in the world that's like ours, the Bible? Is there any other book like it? I challenge you, bring any book. Is there any book like this written over centuries that have one single message from one single author, one single source, that convey one single truth, the gospel, from Genesis to Revelation? Any book, bring any book, bring it all, and add them up, and you will discover that those books are the work, the product of an individual or individuals, but with the Bible... Though men are used in the writing of Scripture, God claims that this is His Word. Not Peter's Word, not Paul's Word. It's not Paul's Holy Scripture. It's God's. Right? It doesn't matter if Moses wrote. It doesn't matter if Joshua wrote. Solomon wrote. It's God who is giving us His Word. There's no other book like this. But notice what verse 5 says. Every word proves true. Do you know how many words there are in the Bible? I'm not going to ask you to count them. It's too long. But there are about 800,000 words. When you read your Bible, you've read nearly 800,000 words. Words from God to us. Words from God. Every word true, every word tested, every word tried. Every single individual word from the mouth of God. Can you trust that? I think you can. It's from the character of God. It's from God Himself. Think of His nature and His character. It's trustworthy. It's reliable, right? And God, in His Word, claims that every single word that He has given is absolutely true. Absolutely true. Why true? Because of their origin, right? They are in from God and from God's mouth. That's why Paul says in Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Comes from the mouth of God. So the Bible is not the product of men. No, the Bible is the Word of God. That's why we say the Bible is inspired. What do we mean by that? It comes from God alone. Breathed out. We say that the Bible is infallible. We mean that it is completely trustworthy in every part. Genesis through Revelation. We say that the Bible is inerrant. We mean that it is without error or contradiction in every part. From Genesis to Revelation. That's what God says. That His Word is like. Every word of God proves to be true. Your Bible. My Bible. That's why Paul, just before he wrote every all scriptures inspired of God, said in verse 15 of 2 Timothy 3, he says, Timothy, listen, these scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation. What's the purpose of every, God's, every word of God proving true? So that you might know the saving power and grace of God. That's why God's given you his word, so that you might believe it, you might be saved, because faith comes by hearing the word of Christ, the word of God. So I ask you, maybe you don't believe that. Then test the word. If you don't believe that, test the word. God says every word of mine is true. Then test it. Prove it. 
Prove that one word is not true. Prove just one word cannot be done. It's been tried. It's been tried for 2,000 years. Well, it's been tried for more than 2,000 years. Can't be done. Because God is true and His word is true. So notice the focus of verse 5 in chapter 30 is that the word is proven true because it comes from God. It comes from God. But more than this, you look at verse 5, it says that God is a shield, right? God is a shield. I mean, everything about this word implies some form of protection, absolute protection, which explains why I cannot despise the word, reject the word, but that I must find my refuge in the word. Now, some of you may be going to school tomorrow. On what are you depending? Ultimately. Let's talk about ultimate issues. I know you're all about, we're all about the physical, the here and now. That's the stuff that matters. No, it's not the stuff that matters. It's the ultimate issues that matter for all of us, right? That's why whenever the, the Solomon talks about the word here, it's always about ultimate issues. It's about life and death, and only those two things. The Bible says, God is my shelter. God is my strong tower. God is my safety. God is my shield. How do I know that? Because God said it. Well, can I trust that God? Yep, because he's shown me what he's like. He's revealed his character. He's revealed his nature. I can know him. So that when we talk about doctrine, that which we ought to believe in order to practice faith, to show what we believe, then my doctrine resides in God himself. Not in my formulation. Not in my comprehension. But in God. That's why this is called biblical principles. Doctrine, if you like. For biblical practice. If you don't have the principle, forget the practice, right? You need the doctrine to live. If you don't have the doctrine, don't understand it, how can you live it? That's why you have to give thought to the Word, meditate on the Word, saturate your mind and heart with God's Word, meditate like David says, day and night, or like God said to Joshua, all the time, right? You know the king of Israel was supposed to write out the law which we can say is perhaps Genesis through Deuteronomy, or particularly just the book of Deuteronomy, the book of the covenant, write out that law, and that copy that he writes out, he's to keep nearby, and he's to read it, so that he might know how to live, and judge the people of God. How do you live? What form, forms your decisions? Who are you going to marry? And why are you going to marry them? What job are you going to get? And why are you going to get that job? How are you going to live? What is going to be your authority for whatever decision you make? Is it going to be your decision? Or are you going to bow before God and say, Help me and show me how I can please you in this life from the moment I believe to the end of my days? What will it be? God says, I've given the word to you. You can do it can be done. It's right in front of you. So why do I need God's word? Remember, God's much needed word. That's what these verses are about. Why do I need the word of God? Well, first of all, without God's word, I can't know God. 
Certainly not the God of the Bible. Maybe you'll conjure up a God of your own making. That's idolatry. Right? It happens all the time. No, without God's word, you cannot know God. And if you cannot know God, you cannot know yourself. So I need God's word. Without God's word, you cannot know what God is like. And you cannot know what God has done. That's why people can read it. It doesn't do anything. Because they don't believe. They don't trust. To ignore, to reject, to despise, to neglect the word, God says, brings judgment. And it will at the end, certainly. But in this life, it may bring temporal judgment in your life. That's the first thing. Without God's word, you cannot know God. Secondly, if you pay attention to the word in your reading, in your studying, if you pay attention to God's word, you will discover all that is good. You will not be aimless in this life. You will not be hopeless. But you will be filled with trust. So God says to us today, come and trust me. Because I'm reliable. Because every word of mine is proven true. Not just true, proven true. So come and trust me. Come and cast yourself upon me. You will not be let down. Why? Because God is reliable and His Word declares it. Now listen, dear brothers and sisters. I need help, right? And I need hope. Because this world that I'm living in has no help and no hope. Read your newspaper or read your news feed. It's tragic. It's tragic, right? It offers you nothing for today and offers you nothing for tomorrow. The same old, the same old. Sin, crime, whatever it might be. Just the wickedness of our hearts. I just want a little good news today. Thought. A little good news goes a long way. Like snow on a day is refreshing, so too the messenger, those who give the word, those who hear the word are refreshed. Well, you're not refreshed when you read God's Word. You should be. It should be like an ice-cold drink of water that refreshes you on a blistering hot day. Right? This is the Word. Because you see, in the Word, God is saying to you, I'm offering you myself. I'm not offering you maxims of how to live. I'm not offering you pop psychology. I'm not offering you meditation. I'm not offering you psychology. I'm offering you none of that. I'm just offering you myself, who is the summum bonum, the supreme good. That's all I'm offering. That's what God says. That's what I'm giving you. I'm giving you myself. How do you know that God has given you himself? He gave his son. Right? That's how you know God has given himself to you. He gave his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. So, pay attention to the word. Number three. Let's read God's Word more this week. Because that's how you get to know God, right? That's how you get to know God. So here you are. Just like I'm sure there are many other people in, in churches across the country. Here we are. The most privileged people of all. Not because of where we live. No, it's not about that. Not because of who we are or what we have achieved over the centuries. No, it's not about that. That's not why we're privileged. We are the most privileged of people because we have the Word of God. You have it in your hand. It's in your hand. It's right in front of you, before your eyes. You are the most privileged of all people. 
But here's the thing. Don't let it just be in your hands. Put it in your heart. That's where it is. To be on, the, on your hands, is a, is, it's on the outside. You must put it in, in your heart. Take it in. Take God's word. Because you see, it is only through the word that we are saved, and it is only through the word that we know the Lord God and His Son, our Lord Jesus, and it's only through the word that you are transformed and conformed to the likeness of Christ. Only through the word. So this is a revelation from God that leads to a relationship with God. This is the written word that leads us to the living word, Jesus himself. And I just say to you this morning, you have a response. You either receive, revere the word, or despise it. God says if you despise it, you bring destruction upon yourself. Upon yourself. And finally, let's not be ashamed of the word, right? If this is the word of God, this is the only word that's necessary. It's the only word I need to believe. It's the only word I need to share. Because this word is life. Do you need the word? Would you say this morning, I need the word and I need more of it? Why would you say that? Well, you should say that because you want to say, I really need God. More of God. And I can only find it in His Word. You see, God's Word is truly much needed in our time. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word that You've given to us. These thoughts that Solomon wrote and Agur wrote so long ago. Things that are so crucial for us to grasp and understand because without the Word there is no faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Word speaks to all of us who believe and all of us who do not believe that there is eternal life or eternal judgment. And we must come to the Word believing that every word of God proves to be true in the end because it is true now. Help us to believe Your Word. Help us to read Your Word, study Your Word, think on Your Word. Help us to share Your Word to live your word, that we might be a faithful and a godly people in this evil generation in which we find ourselves. Oh, forgive us, Father, if we have contributed in any way to the decline and to the sin of this world. Take us out to be a people for yourself. Separate us, we pray, that we might be a godly people, not a worldly people, but a godly, holy people, the people of God. Thank you for your... Don't take it from us. Give it to us, we pray, that we might read it, might learn from it, that we might be saved through it. So we thank you for these great truths about your word. Help us to believe this morning, we pray. We commit these things to you and pray and ask them all in Jesus' name, the name that is far above every other name. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you're